Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. John, what's going on? Eric, doing well. How are you, sir? I am doing fantastic. We we got a chance to chat before we hit the record button today, and sounds like things are hopping in your world. Michael, what's going on with you? Always. Oh yeah, it's all, well. It's all. It's things are always hopping, as they say. But it's uh, nice weather these days. It's springtime, so weather's starting to get nice, and so nice. that's always good. Yeah, absolutely. And you also have a guest on the show today, and I don't even. I don't think he's in studio. He's not quite local, is he? No, I think uh, uh, we have Jeff Anandapa from Rare Tangible Assets Limited. And Jeff, thank you for being here. But you're, uh, I think you're calling in from London today, uh, if I understand it. That's that's correct, uh, Michael. I'm, I'm pleased to be here and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, no, we're excited to have you. This is, uh, we, we, we met Jeff probably, I think, a year ago, maybe a little longer than a year ago yes. uh, at, a, at a conference that we both were speaking at. And I think what we're going to talk to Jeff about today, I think is going to really interest our listeners based on what you do, Jeff, for rare, rare tangible assets. It's, it's a, and collectibles is an asset class that many families are uh, not, uh, may, might be aware of, but typically don't include in their portfolio. So I, I really would love to have you kind of introduce your background, where you come from. I know you're with Stanley Gibbons for uh, a good amount of years. So why don't you maybe start off and give a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Yeah, great. Thank you. As you mentioned, my company is called Rare Tangible Assets Limited. I'm currently based in London, but I was actually born in Sri Lanka. And that's when I started collecting stamps as a hobby. My my grandfather worked in the post office. He introduced me to collecting stamps. And when my family moved to the UK in the 1970s, I carried on collecting and then focused on British stamps, and it developed as a hobby. And as things happen, you know, when I went on to university, started work, etc., my stamp collection fell by the wayside, and I put it away for a number of years. But then I had um, a change in career, and I decided to try and work with stamps. Uh, you know, I was by that time in in my forties, um, and I decided to try and work with stamps as a career. So I, I applied to Stanley Gibbons uh, in London. Now, some of your listeners may know that Stanley Gibbons is the world's oldest stamp dealer, established in eighteen fifty six. And uh, so, so they're one of the, the the key companies for stamp collectors. So I applied to them for a job, basically, and uh, they, by sheer chance, um, were in the process of, of opening their new investment department. Now, Stanley Gibbons mainly deals with collectors, but the idea was that with the investment department, that they aim to promote rare stamps uh, to high net worth clients as an investment. So I started out with Stanley Gibbons in 2005 at the very start of their investment department, and I've, I ended up working with them for over 13 years. I traveled abroad, speaking at investment conferences in the US, in the Middle East, and Asia. Um, in fact, I spent about a year working in Hong Kong, opening up Stanley Gibbons' Asia office there. 
and uh, uh, you know brought in uh, investors, high net worth in individuals um, who were interested in, in investing in rare stamps as a diversification from from their main portfolio. And later on, it wasn't just stamps, but we were also uh, promoting rare coins, uh, first edition books, art, etc., into the portfolio as well. Now, my job with Stanley Gibbons ended in 2018, and I decided to start up my own company as a consultant. And uh, as I mentioned before, the company is called Rare Tangible Assets Limited, which kinds of, I think, summarizes what, what the company does. So it's real assets buying as an investment. And I'm not a dealer, so I don't sell these things myself, but I'm a consultant. And, and if you or your clients want to start up a collection or an investment portfolio in rare stamps, coins, art, first edition books, uh, really the list is almost endless. Um, I can advise people how to get started, how to build up a portfolio. That's wonderful. Uh, and and also, obviously, later on, advise them on exit options as well. So, uh, sorry, that was <laughs> done quite a bit, but that, that basically summarizes what I'm no, doing. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that. And so the, this is, as I said at the beginning, a, a asset class that many people probably have heard of but might not consider in the day-to-day -day investment type of world uh, that they live in. So I'd love to hear a little bit about you know, what the asset class in general, how, I guess, how investors can look at it. How, how do you even get started with something like this? Because I would imagine, <clears throat> either, other than working with you and kind of guiding them, it would really require a lot of upfront research to figure out how to even get started in something like this, I would imagine, right? that that's correct and uh, it is something you need advice on unless you happen to be um, you know an established collector in coins or stamps or books um it's very difficult to know how to get started uh, what to buy how to buy what to what prices to pay um, and obviously there are lot lots and lots of um, forgeries fakes in the collectibles business so they, there are many many different pitfalls um, so, uh, really, so you need to actually work with someone you can trust, either a dealer, uh, or an auction house or, or a collector who's already got a, a substantial collection for, for advice. Uh, but there are actually very few people who actually can give you advice on, on such a broad range of topics. I mean, there are, of course, coin dealers and stamp dealers who can tell you, um, you know, what something might be worth and what to buy. Uh, but, you know, they, they often focus on their, on their particular area. Uh, and of course, with the dealer, there's always a, a conflict of whether they are promoting their own stock or not. Um, so that's why I have an advantage because I'm I'm independent. So I work with a number of dealers and auctioneers um, here in London, also in New York, in um, in uh, Asia, in Hong Kong, Singapore, etc. So I work. I have a network of dealers and experts in many different areas, whether it's coins, stamps, books, art, vintage posters, etc. And I rely on some of their research. Obviously, I know a little bit about stamps and coins myself, and I know a little bit about uh, uh, different areas of, of tangible assets. I wouldn't call myself an expert by any means, but I do know where to reach experts, and I can advise clients on how to get started. I mean, generally, the best advice I would give people is after you've done your research uh, is to buy at auction. 
because there you're buying at market price. Uh, you know, when you're buying from a dealer, uh, you always have to worry about what the dealer's margins are. And, you yeah. know, you might get a good deal from a dealer, get a nice item, uh, you know, at a relatively good price. But then when you come to sell it, you might uh, find that actually the dealer's margin has eaten away at most of the most of the profit. So buying at selling at auction is generally what I advise clients. That's basically the route uh, I favor. I obviously also have a number of clients. Uh, I work with about 200 clients around the world uh, and manage portfolios totaling around 25 to $30 million. Uh, So I always have some clients who are in the process of selling their portfolios. Um, so what I can then do is actually introduce them to new clients who may be willing to buy their items. And that way we can bypass the dealer and the auctioneer and uh, the clients can deal with each other with my advice. And I actually only take a very small commission. So my commission is 1% of the trade value. You know, typically dealers will take 20, 30, 40, 50%. So, so 1% say, yeah. is actually very small. Um, so this way, clients are saving themselves, you know, a significant chunk of commission um, going to a dealer. And, uh, you, you know, I can, as I said, uh, that's one another way of buying uh, uh, stamps or coins. Uh, but generally, I think auction is probably the best best way to buy. Hey, Jeff, this is John. Um, our clients are always interested in, in returns. They always look at investing for benefit of return, obviously. Uh, talk about the returns on some of these uh, types of uh, assets you deal with. It, 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 I, I know inflation is a factor today. I'm assuming, or you, you, maybe I'm wrong, that people are now looking at this type of an asset class to hedge the inflation issue that's uh, addressing the world. Did you find that to be the case? Yeah, that's correct, John. And and traditionally, uh, real assets, uh, you know, going back to the high inflationary periods of the 1970s and 1980s, uh, real assets have been used as a hedge against inflation because they go up in parallel with inflation, sometimes even exceeding inflation as well. So there is definitely increased demand for these type of assets. Uh, the other factor is that these are actually totally uncorrelated with mainstream investments, Correct, yeah. which most of your clients have. You know, I'm assuming that most of their investments would be tied to the stock markets in, in some way. Real assets are much more stable and then they don't go up and down with the stock market or gold or the US dollar simply because these assets, the value is driven by collectors, not by investors. You know, a classic example is the 2008-2009 financial crisis when prices for, you know, equities, gold, property all fell in value for a while. Now, collectibles didn't. Uh, because if you think about a stamp collector who's been collecting, you know, for, for 20 or 30 or 40 years, when the stock market falls, they're not going to suddenly rush out and try and sell their stamp collection to raise uh, raise more money. Sure. Um, right. In fact, completely the opposite. Many of these collections, uh, you know, uh, last for, for many decades. And it turns out that many investors won't actually sell, uh, uh, you, you know, many invest uh, collections get passed uh, through generations, uh, in, in, as family, as a family, uh, heirloom, if you like. Uh, and that's actually the best way to collect. If they work great, uh, as long-term investments passing through the family, passing wealth through generations as well. Going back to something you mentioned about returns, I don't talk about returns mainly because the the reason for investing is, is this type of assets is not about the return. It, it is about diversification. So, you know, you may only get a return of 2% per annum or 3% per annum, 
or, you, you know, it may even stay flat for a decade. But the key thing is that when there's chaos in the markets, it's something you may be able to turn to to raise some money, which is, uh, sell an asset which actually hasn't fallen in value. You know, and that's really where these type of assets become become uh, valuable, purely asset diversification. Uh, and, you know, we're not talking about huge amounts uh, in this. I generally don't advise clients to put more than about two to five percent of their total investment portfolio in these type of assets. So we're talking about a very small amount, uh, something that you can hold on for a long time. uh, And, you know, these are not liquid investments. So you have to take your time when you come to sell them. If you have a stamp or a coin worth $100,000, you're not going to find a buy for that overnight. It may take weeks, months, maybe even a couple of years to find the right buyer who's willing to pay the right price for these things. Um, so it's not something you can you can flip, uh, you know, on a day to day basis. These are long term investments which you you want to hold really, ideally through generations. I would say. Yeah, Jeff. I mean, from this conversation, this is great. But what I I look to you as being you're you're just. Uh, so I I view it as eliminating the barriers to entry to entering this space because. You know, for myself, I mean, maybe if we're talking about rare guitars, I might have a little bit of knowledge about that. But as it relates right. to stamps or or coins, I do not have knowledge. So if I want to even get into this space, I need to rely on somebody like you to be able to help with that. So I, mean, I think this is a really valuable role that you're playing. Um, so I want to commend you for that. The other question I had is, what's the size? I mean, is there any date on the size of the market in terms of how many, as an example, stamp collectors are out there? I mean, if you have a company like Stanley Gibbons, that's been around for, you know, 150 some odd years, it's got to be a pretty big market, I would think, all things considered. Yeah, I think it is a big market, but it's very difficult to measure. Um, So if you think these trades, most of these trades happen on a one-to-one basis via stamp dealers or through auctions or through eBay, very, very difficult to measure it. What I would say, there are, there are tens, perhaps hundreds of millions of stamp collectors worldwide. The other thing I would say is that most people have a perception that stamp collecting is a dying hobby. And that's true to a certain extent in North America and Europe. Uh, the number of you know stamp collectors like me is falling. Uh, however, probably two thirds of the world's stamp collectors are, are actually in Asia. You know, it's estimated that one third of the world's stamp collectors are in China, and right. they're all very young. They're they're kids, people in their teens, working adults, and you see this when you go to stamp shows in China or Hong Kong. Most of the collectors there are very very young, and of course they're not paying thousands of dollars for stamps when they're buying them. They're paying you know five or ten dollars at a time, but the numbers do add up. Sure. Uh, and the thing that's driven the market in Asia is the internet and personal credit cards. So if you have an internet connection and a credit card, you can buy a stamp from anywhere around the world. And that's what's driven the the, the market for these things um, around the world. And the same applies to countries like Indonesia, India. There's a huge market for stamp collectors in India. Uh, in India, stamp collecting is almost seen as a as a respectable professional a hobby that professionals might get into. And the prices for stamps, uh, Indian stamps, have boomed in recent years. So yeah, very very difficult to measure the size of the market. You can get some estimates from eBay, uh, where stamps are one of the I think they're in the top five uh, of, of the, the the categories that that sell. But very difficult to get um, uh, uh, data on 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 the number of collectors or the value of the trades 
I do have um, indices tracking British stamps and English coins and some other assets, which uh, uh, I have compiled data going back 20, 25 years using catalogs. And that gives you some indication how prices have uh, varied over the last 25 years. Uh, but really, that only gives you a snapshot. I mean, you know, each individual stamps, uh, stamps from a particular country uh, will vary from, you know, stamps from other countries. So English coins may be very different from US coins uh, or Middle Eastern coins, etc. So difficult to measure. But, uh, you know, I do have some indices which help to track these kind of markets, or at least give you a, a, a general picture anyway. Jeff, uh, you also mentioned posters, artwork, coins. I mean, talk a little bit about that that sector of, of your markets. Is that, uh, I know artwork's always been a very interesting asset class. I think there's a group called Masterworks out of New York. I think they're out of New York. And it seems to be popular. Can you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So art is something I got into a little bit later on um, after stamps and so on, but it, it does um, interest me a lot. And Art is probably something that's actually owned by many of your clients, uh, uh, you know, the families you have, and they may regard it as something, you know, uh, a lovely piece of art to hang on their walls and maybe, you know, pass through the generations. Um, They may not even regard it as an investment, but it obviously does have value. Now, I focus on established artists like, uh, you know, Picasso, Warhol, Lichtenstein, etc. Now, you can obviously buy original paintings by these artists, but many of those paintings go for tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, which frankly is out of reach of most of my clients and probably all of my clients. So I focus on what are called limited edition uh, prints, limited editions done by these artists. So these artists would reproduce some of their works in an edition of 100 prints or 200 prints, all signed and numbered by the artists. The advantage is that these are, you know, prints by, uh, or editions they're called by well-known artists, uh, but also you can track their values much more easily because yeah. these editions appear on the auction market once or twice a year. So you can track their values and they're much more affordable as well. So I have a client who bought a limited edition Picasso print for $20,000, whereas the original would have cost many, many hundreds of millions. So these are much make them much more affordable and you can actually hang them in their own home. So I have editions which uh, I bought as well. I'm sitting right next to to a Damien Hurst edition, which I bought a few years ago. Uh, you know, and I have a few others. And then there are similar things you can buy. I'm also very keen on uh, vintage posters, which are similar in that uh, they are also artworks. So these are posters which are used in movie theaters. Um, you know, going back into the 60s, 50s, and even earlier. And I just love these because they're huge pieces of art. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, hang they're on great. Wall. yeah, they're very attractive. Um, you know, uh, and I actually got into this fairly late on, but actually I bought one or two. I bought a James Bond poster, the original, the first poster for Dr. No, which came out in 1962. I bought, there are only a couple of hundred of these in, in really nice condition. And it's a very attractive po- po- poster, which I uh, I bought it for seven and a half thousand pounds. I bought it in London. I had it for about 
six years. And then uh, about 18 months ago, I decided to sell it because the bond market had really taken off. And I ended up selling it for £18,000. So made a very good profit on that. And this is uh, another example of uh, this is when I needed to raise money for setting up my company. And this is at the time when uh, the COVID pandemic had just hit. COVID? Uh, What's COVID? (laughs) and you know the the markets were in chaos i didn't know what, what, whether to buy or sell my existing uh investments in, in in the stock market so i went to a deal and i said look i need to raise some money can you sell this for me took a couple of months to sell but i, I sold it for a good price so that's a perfect example of when i needed funds and the markets were in chaos i used an asset which i already have to raise money for for, for when i needed it yeah, Jeff. I mean, you, the, you, the 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 liquidity risk is definitely something that you touched on earlier, and then just in in this story you told, at least you know, I took a couple months to be able to sell it. You mentioned forgeries at the at the beginning. How how much of a risk is that? And and I would imagine it's why people are working with you to be able to suss through that, right? I'm sure you come across a lot of end up things that end up as being forgeries. Really, at the end of the day, can you explain a little bit of maybe the process around? I mean, how do, how do people avoid that? Yeah. Well, I think if you're buying from a reputable dealer or auctioneer, you can avoid forgeries. Um, and uh, many of these dealers and auctioneers have, have a money-back guarantee, at least for a certain period of time, if you buy something from them and it ends up being forgery. Actually, outright forgeries are pretty rare when it comes to collectibles. Um much more common are what I would call fakes or something which has been damaged and then repaired so that the repair is not visible to the naked eye. Oh, okay. And this is quite common with stamps and also to a certain extent with coins, etc. as well. So, so yes, you do have to work with uh, people you can trust. And, you know, I, as I said, I'm not an expert in these things. I can, I can tell you for a certain amount of for forgeries in stamps and coins, I can tell you, but for I rely on experts. And you can get certifications from independent bodies as well. So when I'm advising clients to buy a, a rare coin, for example, I advise them to buy coins which are actually already slabbed and graded and independently authenticated by a third party. That way you actually you you have a, a, a an assurance that what you're buying is is genuine and not not being tampered with. But it's true, it, it is something you do need do need to be careful of. I would say actually the main danger, though, it's not really fakes and forgeries. It's buying at the wrong price. So, you know, that the bond post I bought, I bought it from a dealer simply because it's someone I knew. However, you know, the most bond, most posters don't go up like that in value in such a short period of time. And if I had tried to sell it the following year, put it into an auction, I would have probably lost 25, 30, 40 percent of my investment. So, if you're buying something, you have to be sure you're buying it at the right price for the right reasons. And you know that you have to hold it for a while before you can get your money back or make a profit on it. So so the bond, it's a good story, but it's not typical of, of buying and selling collectibles. Hey, Jeff, are there any emerging collectibles that you see that's new to the marketplace? Is it something that you, you're you're tracking? Sure. I mean, uh, there are always as a yeah, number of collectibles. You. you know, you probably heard about trading cards. You know, Pokemon yep. cards, uh, video games, computer games. That's NFTs. Which is yeah. booming. Yeah. To be honest, 
there's too much for me to track. I, I'm only okay, one yeah. guy and I have a very small company. So I kind of focus on the areas I know. And, uh, you know, I think, Michael, you mentioned you're, you're a fan of guitars. And again, uh, one of my nephews is really into music and he collects these, I think he calls them amplifiers going back yeah. from, the, from the 50s. And well, well perhaps. Yeah, Michael's got a couple of those. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, he tells me they're great investments and I believe him, you know, but I just don't have the time and the, and the resources sure. to track stuff like that so i tend to focus mostly on rare stamps ancient coins and i don't i don't uh, uh promote us coins simply because there are, there are many us dealers you can go to i actually promote english and european coins and asian coins also first edition books art as i mentioned the limited edition prints vintage posters and then to a certain extent i have people who work with me on luxury watches uh, whiskey and spirits those kind of investments as well so for for most of my clients that's probably about enough to get started that, that would give you a pretty decent diversified portfolio if you invested in two or three of those things yeah that's really great jeff is there anything we haven't covered that you think is really important for our listeners to know about, about what you do or this asset class in general? I think we've pretty much covered everything. I would say, uh, you know, there's always questions that that come up. So I, I have a brochure. I mean, if people are more interested, they can they can reach out to me. As I mentioned, my company is Rare Tangible Assets Limited. I should probably mention my fee structure. I, I mentioned that I'm not a, a, a dealer. I'm a consultant. So uh, I don't sell things directly myself. So and I don't charge clients commission either. So I work on a subscription fee, which is payable every year for my services. Typically, that works out at around $500 to $1,000 a year, depending on the size of the client's portfolio. And uh, uh, when clients buy and sell, I get 1% commission from the dealers and auctioneers I work with. So the, the fees I charge to clients are actually pretty low. Um, and I've done that deliberately because, uh, number one, I can afford to do that because I'm a one-man company. I don't have uh, you know kids or family to worry about. So I can afford to keep my fees low. And I know already that dealers do charge high commissions. So, so I don't want to uh, you know, my clients spending huge amounts of their money on, on commission. So I keep my fees low uh, and that way clients can enjoy owning these collectibles. And, and hopefully my aim is to build up a, a good client base over the next 10 years or so and, uh, you know, take it from there. Well, this is great. Jeff, I appreciate you being on here today. We appreciate you. Yeah. Being. This is great. Jeff, thanks you so much. I appreciate it. I think we'll, we'll definitely have to have you on in the future. This is this is great today. Yeah, yeah I'd love to come back and, you know, talk to you in some detail about coins or stamps or, or whatever. There's just too much to talk to. In oh, I know. Yeah, 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 Jeff, one key point, I'll, I'll interrupt for a second, that I like about what you said, amongst all, all the other things you said, is that you think generationally. We're generational advisors. We work with right. families, a G2, G3 uh, generation. So this is this is a very interesting conversation we could have with our families that at part of their portfolio, we could take – Again, that 5% of their investable assets and diversify into those type of uh, collectibles and most certainly refer you into that you know, situation as well. I'd love to have you come to another uh, podcast with us in the future on maybe a specific collectible that you might want, want to dig deep on. But but really, Jeff, thanks for, for coming. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me, John and Michael. Pleasure to be on. Gentlemen, this has been great. Jeff, I got to say that it's it's interesting as you were talking and, and talking about these collectibles, I kind of realized within myself that my my grandfather started something or more specifically, his grandfather started something years ago in me with a pocket watch. 
my great great grandfather worked on the railroad had a pocket watch um, when he died he gave it to his firstborn grandson who was my grandfather i was the firstborn grandson in the family so i now have that pocket watch and that started me on collecting watches because i like the mechanics i like the i like to watch things work right and so that the, i just kind of that came to my mind when you were talking about this this i i believe what you do sparks interest in younger generations so that multi-generational the passing of it can really kind of spark some interest in something like that so i have a small watch collection now based on the fact that i love to open up the back of that that railroad watch and watch it tick and just see how the mechanics work of it um so i thought that was fascinating and and uh, so my my grandson who i have a firstborn grandson now he will eventually get that watch when he's old enough to understand it appreciate it and not play with it in the yard you know what i mean <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I think that's great what you do i think that that's something that a family can pass and, and cherish together um so i, I love the conversation today john and michael i thought this was great and i I'm, I'm curious from your end do you have families that already do this that, that they maybe have shown you because you guys meet with your families all the time have you had families show you a, an interesting collection that they've got that they plan to pass down yeah, we had we had a we had a neurosurgeon in Oklahoma. Uh, we were we were visiting him, and his wife said, "You need to see a Chris's uh, wine cellar because they know I collect wine." Wine. Mm-hmm. So I walked downstairs on the on the wall. There was a huge glass cabinet with all these surgical tools for surgeons, wow. for neurosurgeons. <laughs> he had Napoleon's uh, tools. From LA. he had the largest collection of these of this equipment in the world apparently i said so what are you going to tell me that <laughs> so what are you going to do with that so here's the conversation is that what do you do with that uh, you know jeff the, the, you know the problem i had well who, who's going to want that who's going to collect it so we're going to donate it to the university i believe where he graduated from but anyway but you there are people that have collectibles we we, we come across occasionally yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah it's uh, yeah and it's funny because it does it, to your point jeff it, it has a lot of value, but it's when, you know, we go through our data collection process that it's, it, it's almost always the last thing that gets discussed, right? right. In terms of, oh, I yeah. forgot about, you know, th- this, this client, I forgot to tell you about this. It has value, but w- what's kind of interesting because they don't necessarily view it as an investment, quote unquote, it's, it's the collectible, point. right? It's, yeah. it's not to be sold. It's not something they track, which I think fits the theme generally but it does still have value and and it should be planned for you know like eric your your grandfather and and his grandfather in terms of you know it's a generational asset that has value that should be planned for right so it's it's interesting yeah i say yeah love the conversation guys thank you so much jeff thank you for being a fantastic guest of course john and michael thank you for hosting this show and and bringing another guest to the audience Speaking of you, the audience, last thank you always goes to you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review. This actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. 
The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC Registered Investment Advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc. and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. American Portfolios and Copper Beach Financial Group are not affiliated with any other named business entities mentioned.